Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So today we are going to be talking about a topic that is very common to talk about. We have also talked about it before on the podcast, but our conversation today with Sarah feels like we were looking at it through a different lens. Sarah brings an incredible perspective to this common, unfortunately common experience of burnout as a therapist. We talk about the collective collective burnout that might be starting from even before we hit graduate school and how that shows up all the way into our first couple years as a licensed or pre-licensed clinician practicing outside of school. Mm-hmm. And Sarah gives us the reminder that I needed, I think maybe Catherine, you said you needed it too, that it's not always our fault either. We, of course, might contribute to different pieces of it, but we talk about the systemic pieces that might also contribute to our burnout as therapists. That are beyond our control. So... Uh, before we get into it, we say this in every episode, but this episode is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 51 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to talk to you today, but before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So again, my name is Sarah. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a provisional licensed therapist in the state of Maryland. I um, am working towards full licensure. I should get it hopefully in August if all goes to plan. And um, I primarily work with children, teens, and young adults. I um, specialize in working with neurodivergent and LGBTQI plus um, individuals, and I feel like that's where my heart's at, and that's mainly who I see. Um, I also work with different presenting concerns and symptoms as well. We love that. Well, thank you for sharing. I always feel like when we hear from our guests, we could just talk forever about this fun stuff, but we are here today to ask, what made you question if you were a bad therapist? Yeah. Um, So I will give you guys a little bit of background and context first. Um, So I started my professional career back in August of 2021. And so I quickly was trying to build my caseload. You know, I wasn't really saying no to clients. I was trying to make a certain amount of money to live, of course, and survive. And then 
um, worked odd hours, and um, I definitely brought my work home with me, literally and figuratively. Um, and then I was simultaneously doing my own individual work um, and therapy myself, and I was trying to work through kind of that backlog of pain that I was carrying from previous experiences and internship in school and being a volunteer in an inpatient setting. And I worked very closely and consistently with um, children who've experienced maltreatment. So heavy stuff. And I was trying to simultaneously work through that while also starting my career. And um, yeah, so I feel like the main focus today will be burnout. Um, mm -hmm. And burnout in some ways happened before I started my professional career. And that's kind of what I'm going to pinpoint. But um, I also was warned about burnout throughout this process. But I think it wasn't until um, something happened that I was like, whoa, okay, I'm burnt out. Yeah, sometimes it yeah. does that big moment. And I think I know Allie and I have talked about our own moments of realization of, oh, whoa, I always tell my friends, and my colleagues, like I am crispy, I am burnt to a crisp. Um, and when we get to that point, it's it's far too late. And there's too, there's more damage that was done if we um, than if we caught it earlier. So sorry, I'm really interested. Can you tell us more about, you know, you said the burnout happens or started before school? Tell us more. Yeah, so I did volunteer work at an inpatient hospital, and I worked on a child unit there. So I was seeing a lot of high acuity, high needs kiddos who, unfortunately, our system, as we know, has a lot of work to do, and it was kind of like a revolving door. Um, so the kids just kept coming through, and again, like they're experiencing a lot of significant trauma essentially and and um they keep coming in because their environment unfortunately is not serving them in the way that they need and um they're not getting enough and so that probably certainly contributed to the burnout as well just seeing that and experiencing that and trying to help as much as i could but i mean again it was only a volunteer so i stayed actually in that um role at the hospital for about two and a half years. So I went from a volunteer to an intern, then to a mental health worker is what they called it. Um, and I really tried and I I think I was internally hoping, I was like, maybe I can do something, maybe something can change. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, and I was like, okay, so maybe I need to try a different setting. And then I moved to outpatient work. And then um, I worked with individuals who came to see us through the Victim of Crimes Act. So they had to come in under that and then they could get free services through us. And so again, like I think things were kind of building and compounding those experiences. And by working with that population, I learned so much and so rewarding. It's also just really heavy. Um, so I carried that um, with me and I stayed there about as long as I could because it was an internship so it had to end and then um, I I realized like also in my body 
that I was feeling a lot of the stress and burnout. Um, but I might not have been totally consciously aware of it, but my body was. And I was kind of warned by other people, friends and family. And um, I just thought, okay, this is how this job works. Like, mm. this is what other mm. people do. Uh, this this is normal. Mm. And then I moved into my position now in um, an outpatient private practice setting in Maryland. And um, I think I kind of unfortunately brought this along with me. And I was told, okay, by my supervisor, I think you're burned out. Um, so it was like a collection of what I was bringing into this position yeah. and the clients I was working with simultaneously. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I feel like it's such a good point of thinking. I don't know if I've ever thought of it in this way of like, cause when we're in grad school, even, and even before, like we are in internships and depending on how people go through a program or the program structure, like it, when I was in my internship, I was still, you know, you still have to take classes. It might be a little bit less potentially, again, depending on programming, but you're still managing like this, you know, seeing clients, the things they bring, you're still taking classes. Some people are working outside of that. Like that in itself is already like this formula for burnout that could, like you're saying, could already be happening before we're even into our careers. And like, I feel like I know this, I'm conscious yeah. of that, but talking about it in this way is like this light bulb has kind of let over my head of like, I don't know if I thought about this. And even in reflecting, I am thinking about my own journey becoming a therapist. And I did an internship in my undergrad um, that this is reminding me of. I was working in hospice with children, so children who were mm -hmm. on hospice, and I was doing creative arts, um, like mental health work with them. And then I like jumped right into grad school and internship. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I never put these pieces together? That a hundred percent, I was bringing that with me. It's such a good point that you're bringing up, and I feel like I can just I feel it so much, and mm -hmm. it does feel like oh, this is how it is, right? Yeah, I, I definitely was thinking to myself, this is just a part for the course. Like this mm. is a part of it. Um, then when I started to experience more in this field, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like something's wrong. I felt in a way like we're set up, <laughs> like we're set up for this burnout. We're set up because it's more I think of a societal and systemic issue, like within the field, it's not always on the individual. Yes, mm -hmm. it's also on the individual, mm -hmm. but I think it's both. Yeah. Oh, I, and when you put, like when you are in practice for yourself or in a group practice where you have fee for service, so you get paid based on how many clients, based on the clients you see, I mean, you cannot blame the individual for burning themselves out to put food on the table. Like this is absolutely a systemic issue. And part of the problem is payers, but I will get off that soapbox right now. So we're not going to get on that one because we'll never get off. <laughs> Can you hear the frustration in my voice? But Sarah, what one part that stood out to me in your story is, well, two parts. One, the collective the collective burnout, because here you were going from what I would consider higher burnout environments, inpatient to intensive outpatient clinic wise, and then to, you know, what one might consider the, you have the best opportunity for not burning out, which might be private practice, may or may not be. But that's, you know, in my head, it felt like you were moving towards the environments that fostered less of a burnout. And yet you still had it, you still, it, 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 
accumulated over, over time and it came with you. And I don't know if I realized that in myself until just now, point blank. I know we're having these light bulb moments. It's amazing. (laughs) And I guess part of this is what do we, what did you do? What did you do when you, when your client, when you, not your client, sorry. I mean, that would be pretty bad if a client came to you and said, you're burnt out. And if, if you're listening and that <laughs> happened to you, please apply. We would love to have you on the show. Um, but when your supervisor, I think the second worst to your client telling you, your supervisor looks you in the face and tells you you're burnt out. And it's not just burnout from this private practice, it's burnout collectively over the years that you have been carrying with you. What did you do with that? What did you do then? Okay, being fully transparent, (laughs) I held the space for it. I was there. I was like, okay, yep, burned out, got it. Left the room, totally was not okay. I completely fell apart. Um, I think it was that wake up call that I have been avoiding for so long. And then it just like looked me dead in the face and it was just there. And I felt like I had to swallow that and digest that. Um, So I broke down and I cried a lot. I called my partner who was also a therapist. That can be a separate like podcast episode. Um, (laughs) And he was very comforting and he was there for me and we were like, okay, like he was like, we're going to go to target as soon as you're done work. Like we were going to go do these things. Like we're going to, we're going to get your favorite food. I'm going to run the bath. Like we're just going to go through these things, all the self-care stuff. Right. Um, and I mean, while I was in target, I was still crying and I was like picking up things and I was like, this is not going to fix this. Even it was just in the moment, like what we were like, we don't know what to do. Sarah, I'm picturing you walking down that candle aisle at Target, sobbing, being like, this oh, is yeah. gonna fix it. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, exactly. I, I can see myself in, yes. In yeah, yeah. I mean, if you haven't cried in a Target, what are you doing? But I also <laughs> love that Target was the number one step on the list because I yep. personally feel like Target can solve all of my problems. So I think it might have been the first step on my list too. If Target causes my problems. May I need to learn yeah. how to do Target like you two. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a little bit of that, yes. some candles, some snacks, yep. some food, like everything. All, so many th- mm-hmm. all the things. Let's pause here for an ad break. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more. Here on Am I a Bad Therapist, we know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice. Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PEPIDA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible. Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time too with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows, which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist? And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code bad therapist for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Hey, listeners. 
it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Ellie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Ellie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. Okay. So you had your support from your partner, which is amazing. We love that. Target wasn't cutting it. Yeah. (laughs) So you're kind of wondering, is this going to fix anything? What happened after that? Yes. So I, I took a deep dive into what is going on? What can I change? Um, is this my fault? I think there was a lot of guilt, shame, self-blame, the works. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I was, so I was doing like simultaneous processing and problem solving. So I was like, okay, it's my fault, but I have to fix this now because if I don't fix this now, how am I going to show up for my clients? How am I going to show up for myself, my partner, etc.? So I did both. I'm not going to say that's the recommended approach, um, but it was a lot of, I think, prioritizing too. I was like, okay, things have to shift. Um, I am not putting myself first. And I don't think I was ever told that we shouldn't or we should put ourselves first. But I think it was just like ingrained in my mind that our clients come first. And then I just had to have that reality check of, no, I think it's time to put myself first. And all of this happening within the first year of my career as a professionally licensed therapist is kind of wild. Um, But I guess that's that time. That's that time to learn and reflect and figure it out um, and hopefully to minimize burnout in the future. But um, yeah, I think it it was all boiling down to that I need to put myself first. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more about how I was trained to put the client, obviously put the clients, I shouldn't say obviously, people practice differently. Um, I was trained to put the clients first in the therapy room, and but no one really talked about what to do outside the therapy room or mm-hmm. how to put yourself first before your job or before your client's needs um, within. No one really talks about those flexible boundaries of running a practice or having yeah. clients. Um, and it's, I see it, I see it across many clinicians where we take that client first mentality, which might be useful and called for in the therapy room. And we take it, you know, it knows no bounds. Clients come first, no matter what period. And I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go about it. Um, so can you tell us how did you put yourself first? Um, Cause I love that you reflected on that and realized where parts of it might've come from and realize it, it needs to change. 
Yeah, so it looked like cutting down my hours. It looked like taking less trauma cases. Um, It looked like putting more work in my own individual therapy um, because there's no shame in therapists going to therapy too. Um, And it looked like being more vulnerable about this and which is a huge part of why I wanted to talk about this because I think burnout, at least for me, is such a scary word and such a fearful thing. And we're like, nope, it's not going to happen to me. But I think it's inevitable sometimes. And I tried to be transparent with my colleagues and um, the people that I care about in this work, especially. Um, Because I think we all come from so many different backgrounds and experiences that we bring with us every day. And at the end of the day, we're still human. So we're trying to figure it out as we go. And if that looks like burnout, okay. And, you know, we take stock, we prioritize and we shift things. And yeah, so I don't know if I exactly answered your question about what that looks like, but yeah. Oh, you absolutely did. You cut back hours, you took less trauma patients. And that's kind of how was that for you? I can imagine switching from like client first and by client, I mean, sometimes we say client first and we feel like anyone who needs help is our client as opposed to just our identified clients. So Mm -hmm. how did that feel saying like no to potential trauma clients and no to your, you know, no, I'm cutting back hours. What was that like for you? That was really tough. Um, I was sort of fighting myself because I thought, again, this was the expectation in the field, like this is what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm not doing it, that says something about who I am as a clinician and my worth and my ability. And, um, but then I, I, it was like a battle with myself. I was like, okay, here is this side of it that you're not a good therapist. (laughs) You're a bad therapist. And um, then there's the side of it of like, actually, I think you are a good therapist because you're doing your own work and you're not running away from it. And if you did run away from it and you didn't look this in the face and do something about it, then what does that say about the quality of care that you can offer your clients and your own quality of life? Yeah, those are such great points. And I feel like it is still like such a, this thread we're talking about of like, it feels sometimes like there are those expectations. Like I feel like, especially I think about it with like time, like hours and things. Like I know in grad school in my own program, I can't recall a time where someone said like, this is how you talk about hours. Like this is what you do. Or like even in my first agency job, they're like, okay, this is the number you need to hit figure out how to hit it. Like you can do it in whatever hours you want, which makes it sound like they're being flexible, but really they just mean like work all the time. So like jokes on me a little bit. Um, But then even thinking about like saying no to clients, like where you want to help somebody, that's why we do this work. But then having to say like, I feel like even I can hear it in my head of a client being like, well, what do you mean you can't, you don't have that time. It's like, I can't do 8 p.m. on a Friday night. I'm I can't, I'm sorry. That doesn't work for my schedule. But it's almost like we're trained to just yeah. take clients at any hour, any day yeah. and make it work. And if it doesn't fit, we need to change. Nothing else yeah. needs to change. Mm-hmm. Now, Sarah, how has starting work in your private in your private practice? Has it changed 
you know, has it given you that flexibility that you were needing in your past internship and volunteer position before? Yes, absolutely. So I think I was fortunate enough to be in this position of, okay, I'm noticing I'm burnt out and I have this ability to shift my schedule, make the hours pretty much what I want them to be. But then of course, with the caveat of I work with so many littles that they have to be seen in a certain window and it's normally in the evening. Um, and, and also for my teens too, who are in like sports or something like that, like they have to be seen later. So what I ended up doing was I sectioned my day very well, I, I want to say strategically, but I, I don't know how strategic it actually is, but I'm trying. Um, I'm doing what I can with it. So the the first part of my day, I'm really trying to just do the things that I love. Like I, I'm a huge dog person, so I'm blocking out that time to be with my dogs and I'm becoming a plant person, so I'm spending time with plants, and apparently you're supposed to talk to them mm-hmm. um, to help them the grow. journey. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying that out. I, yeah, so I'm doing these things, like the self-care thing. Yes, I'm doing it, and I know that it's a buzzword, but I truly am recognizing how helpful it is, and then I can actually show up for my clients, and I have energy and I'm focused, and I'm mm-hmm. present with them. Um, and then again, I think it just boils down to being human and doing those human things that nourish us and don't deplete us. So I'm trying to do that. We were at a consult group last night on the Teletherapist Network. It's my Monday night bloopers. And we don't focus all the time on bloopers, um, um, like our mistakes, kind of like bad therapist moments. But we, one member of the console group was like, I just really want to talk about burnout. And I kid you not, Sarah, all the hand, all the virtual hands in the room went up. We spent almost the entire time talking about burnout and how you really highlighted this, um, how it self-care isn't a, va- a vacation. It is not one break. It is a pattern of creating your life and your work schedule so that it cares for you as a human and your needs. And we really talked about how it's like you, like you described, it's a pattern of behavior. It is not a one and done. I know that's said so often, but really focusing in on how you're structuring your days, like the morning routine, and then making sure if you're working evenings, you're not starting work at 9 a.m. and working through. You're starting your day later, really being thoughtful about how your days can work for you. And I love how creative you got, the flexibility. And, you know, I just, I think we as therapists can be a little bit more creative in how we show up sometimes. That could help us not burn out, right? So really great example of that. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. I love that. Um, Yeah. And I think too, like you were saying, even thinking about like how we are as people, and I think we've talked about this on the network, like if you're a morning person, like mm-hmm. there are definitely people who can be seen at like 7 a.m. maybe before they go to work, like make that work mm-hmm. for you. If you like working with kids and you have to work evenings, block out, like you're saying, that first part of your day and do the things you love. Or if you just aren't a morning person, you know, and if that's 
possible in your schedule. Again, not everyone has that flexibility, but if yeah. you do, like lean into that and yeah. look at yourself and say, like, where do I feel like my peak of like functioning for working and try to, as much as you can, navigate your schedule around that or Again, if it's like working with the population that's later, yeah. enjoy that beginning part of your day. Don't start sitting at your desk at 9 and then work until yep. 8 p.m. So I love hearing that too. I feel like I've tried to adopt that into my schedule a lot more as much as I can of like I don't have to start my work day at 9 a.m. because so many other people do. I don't have to do that. I can do my own thing and then you know work the rest of the day as I need to. So I think that's sticking with me. I love that. It just sounds – again, when we have that possibility, it feels really good. This is so funny because I am the complete opposite of this. I start my day. I used to see clients at 6 a.m. And to be, we're recording. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Uh, And, you know, we're recording. But to be fair, we're recording this episode at 3.30 in the afternoon, East Coast time. This is really late for me to be working. Normally, I end earlier, spend time with my kids, and then go back to work in the evening. I also have a really flexible schedule to prioritize different things in my life that I really want to be with my kids to pick up like, and I'm going to do it and we're going to make it work. And that's fine. Well, again, it sounds like, but that works for you, Catherine. That's what I love too, of like, we, when you have that flexibility to make it work, that's, it just feels really good. Um, so Sarah, we ask all of our guests this question. We've covered a lot of it, but we're going to tie it back together. What advice would you give to a clinician, either a new clinician who is feeling that burnout, if it's really anyone who's recognizing the burnout or like noticing their schedule's not working for them, what advice would you give? Yeah. So I just want you to know that it is not entirely your fault, um, that we are kind of put in a position to put out as much as we can. And maybe you're not getting all of the support that you truly deserve and need. And my hope is that if it ever feels that way that you ask for more support and you reach out to multiple people and you hear different perspectives and stories and recommendations on how can I move through this? Like, how can I be a better version of myself now? Cause maybe I don't feel the way that I want to. And I just really want to focus on the fact that it's kind of, like I said before, a societal thing. Like it's not entirely on you and it might feel like it's on you and it's not. So please reach out for more support and it's okay to put yourself first. You have permission. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You said that so well, like you tied it together perfectly. And I mean, so, so much knowledge, like, again, it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned clinician or a new clinician. It's just, you said that so well. So thank you for sharing that. And if our listeners want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, so should I give my email? <laughs> yeah. Or if you have like okay. an Instagram that you do, oh, like yeah. share publicly, you're welcome to share that. If you yeah. have a website, really anywhere, um, whatever feels best for you. Okay. Um, I will share my Instagram. So, um, my Instagram handle, I believe is at Sarah Thompson with two N's at the end and an underscore. Perfect. And we will link all of that in the show notes. We'll link it so people can find you. And thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's it. OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. 
we pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.